jump into the word this morning. I got a good word for you. Isn't it always good we got a good word? Of course, there is no such thing as a bad word when we're preaching from the word. Amen. All right, come on, let's pray, y'all. Father, we love you today. We bless your holy name. You are good, and there is none that is like you. Lord, in all the heavens and in all of the earth, the entire created order gives testimony to this one unchanging truth, God, that you're good and you are faithful. And your word says that as surely as we can count on that sun rising up and going down every day, even when we don't see it or feel its effects, your word tells us that you are that faithful. We can trust that the sun's going to come up. We can trust that the sun's going to go down and we can trust in you. And Father, I pray today for this family that has gathered together. Father, I pray that everything that we are walking through, uniquely, individually, specifically, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to be faithful and to be trustworthy and to be good in all the situations of our lives, the struggles, the letdowns, the breakdowns, the upsets, the disappointments, the hurts, the pains, the exciting moments, the prayers fulfilled, the prayers delayed, the prayers not answered the way we expected. Lord, I pray that you would be near and you would reveal your goodness and your trustworthiness in these things. Now, Holy Spirit, as we come to the word of God, we submit our hearts and our minds to the word spoken, pronounced, preached, proclaimed. And I pray, Father, for the marriage of the word and the spirit to take place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to read the entire chapter, the entire chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 3. For those of you guys who did not bring your physical Bibles, do not fret, we have a digital Bible on a screen right behind me that you guys can place your eyes on. I love uh, the physical, tangible word. I love putting my hand on the pages of the scriptures, marking them all up. I've got way too many Bibles than I need. And uh, this one right here is a brand new one that somebody gave to me. So um, I, I I am breaking, oh, I am christening this Bible with you, with us today, right now. It's exciting moment, exciting times. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went, and he lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, here I am, you called me. Or maybe it was more like, 
here I am, you called me. I don't know, however you want to nuance that. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Can we just say that together? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and he stood there. He stood there. And he called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, twice now. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and he said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, fourth time now, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Do not hide it from me and may God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Still haven't figured that one out yet. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, there's a lot there. Let's, let's begin with just a little bit of historical background for those of us who have zero understanding or zero context for who this guy Samuel is, for who Eli is, for what's going on uh, in the Old Testament at this time. So 1 Samuel follows a, a very important book in the Old Testament called the book of Judges. And, and Judges, as we preached when we talked about Deborah, follows the children of Israel coming out of bondage for 400 years, entering into the promised land under Joshua in the book of Joshua, where they are um, conquering nations that are there. They are they're entering into and occupying territory in the land of promise that God had given to them. And then there's this turning point in the history of Israel. It happens in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, we find that after Joshua and the elders of Joshua's generation passed away, these guys that saw all of the miracles, they saw all of the signs and the wonders, they saw all the plagues, they saw the water coming out of the rock, they saw birds coming out of the sky, they saw, they saw manna, they saw all of these things. 
That generation dies and passes away. And one of the most tragic scriptures in all of the Bible, there was another generation that grew up that neither knew the Lord nor the things that he had done. Now think about this. One generation removed from some of the most miraculous, supernatural, delivering moments in the history of this people. And and the children don't even know the stories. That's tragic. And as a result, we find that the book of Judges is a cycle where an entire nation of people go through sin. There are raiders and there are other countries that come in. They oppress them. They put them in bondage. The children of Israel live under bondage as prisoners and captives for years, sometimes 20 up to 40 years, until they finally realize we hate this, we do not like this. They cry out to God, have mercy on us, save us, deliver us, we need a savior, come rescue us. God raises up a person, man or woman. That person is a person that hears and follows the words of God. This is a person that leads, leadership is important. This is a person that that makes decisions under the guidance and the direction of God. And as a result, the people experience peace. Scriptures say this over and over and over again. That when there was a godly judge that was raised up, the people lived in peace. This has amazing implications, you guys, for our homes. This has an amazing implication for the need for godly leadership uh, for husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, pastors, civil leaders, educators, Leaders, godly leadership matters. Scripture says in Proverbs that when the wicked enter into places of leadership, the scripture says that people run and they hide. Why? Because wicked rulers lead by oppression and coercion and they imprison and they put people in restriction and bondage and fear. But the scripture says that when the righteous come into leadership, the people rejoice. Life, things flourish, things grow. The atmosphere changes like Bernard was saying. And how many of you guys have experienced that? How many of you guys have been into environments, maybe at someone's home, and you walk in and you're like, ugh. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to be here long. Things are tense, right? Things are uncomfortable. Sideways comments, sarcasm, anger. You're just like, uh, we got to go. But then there's other places that you've been into. You've been in some people's homes. You've been in some environments, some churches. And you're like, whoo, this is all. You feel at home. There's peace. How many of you guys have been in someone's home? And the moment you walked in, you're like, I cannot explain this. But there is peace in this place. Chances are that place has been soaked and saturated in prayer and in worship that place, has been, that, that place has the kingdom of God ruling and governing the relational interactions. And as a result, righteousness and peace and joy, which are the results of the kingdom, are manifested in that environment. Godly leadership matters. And so we see this. So when God raises up judges and they're ruling and they're bringing the kingdom of God, people rejoice. And then when that judge dies, the people repeat the cycle over and over and over again. That is the book of Judges. The book of Judges ends going into the book of 1 Samuel, which we just read from. 1 Samuel starts off with a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah is barren. And in the Old Testament, in that particular time period, to be barren was was very shameful. And so uh, she's crying out to God and saying, not only would you give me a child, but would you give me a male child? 
Because male child in that time period was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of, of, of fruitfulness. And so she cries out and she goes into a time of fasting and intense crying out to God. And God moves on her behalf and gives her a son. Her son's name is Samuel. All right, so when she cries out to God, she actually makes God a promise. And she says, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And in the Old Testament, there was, there was a, a priestly structure, a Levitical structure. And those priests served in the tabernacle or temple of God, tending unto God, doing sacrifice, lighting candles, ministering to God, creating an environment where the people of God could come and worship God. And part of her promise was, I will give my son back to you. And from the time he was a little boy, after he was weaned, Some commentators believe it was around four years old. After four years old, after the boy Samuel was weaned, he went back into the temple and he served under Eli. Now, who's Eli? Eli is one of the priests that is serving in this temple. And his sons are absolutely wicked. We find in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that these guys were wicked. These guys would actually hang out. They would steal the offerings from the people who would come and they would provide meat offerings and these guys, these sons of Eli, would take the best of their offerings and steal it and if anybody opposed, they'd beat them up. These guys were having uh, inappropriate relations with some of the, the female servants that were attending. These guys were absolutely corrupt and in 1 Samuel chapter two, God actually raises up this anonymous prophetic figure All we see in 1 Samuel 2 is a man of God. That's what it says. Some random, arbitrary man of God comes and he addresses Eli and says, Jack, you don't change this man. You're getting judged and bad things are going to happen. We got to deal with this. Eli does not deal with it. That's chapter 2. So we go into chapter 3. Now, let's talk a little bit about some just unique things that we find out going in chapter 3. Samuel is a boy. We have no idea how old he is. We know that he's been in the temple since he was about four years old. We also know that once a year, his parents would come. Imagine this. Imagine being a four-year-old boy left with some some gray-haired stranger whose sons are awful, and your parents leave, and you don't even know if they're coming back for you. And they come and they visit you once a year, and when she comes, she gives you a coat that's too big for you. She, she would make her son an, an ephod, but she would make it big enough so that he would grow into it by the time that she comes and sees him the next year. Thanks, Mom. So we know that the boy Samuel is young. I think that's important. All right, so let's begin the story here. Samuel's lying down. It's time to go to sleep. It's in the night hours. Eli's asleep, and we also know that Samuel and Eli, they're not in the same quarters because every time God calls them, Samuel has to get up and he has to run to Eli. So we're not exactly sure how far away he is, but Samuel and Eli are in different quarters of the temple, and here the, the story begins. Samuel lays down, it's in the middle of the night, and, and, and this is very, very important. God calls him, and he calls him three times. Samuel, Samuel. Gets up, gets out of bed, runs to Eli, And he says, Eli, you've called me. Now, what I find interesting here, what I find interesting is that somehow the way that Samuel is hearing the voice of the Lord sounds just like the voice of Eli. Otherwise, why would he get up and go through all the trouble to run to Eli's room and say, you called me? Now, we know that he has not discerned the voice of the Lord yet. Verse 7, he's not discerned the voice of the Lord yet. 
And so this voice of the Lord sounds like the voice of his spiritual father. Because that's essentially what Eli was. Eli was functioning as a spiritual mentor, leader, and a spiritual father in his life. And here's what I think is interesting. As it relates to us learning how to discern the voice of God, sometimes God will use voices that are very familiar to us in order to speak to us. God works through the people that are in our circle and sphere of relationship. I had somebody come up to me a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, and they said, help me learn and discern how it is that you hear the voice of God. When you're making these massive decisions, like getting into a new building, I think I shared the story last week, just in the process of hearing God's voice, I felt like this was the right thing for us to do, even though there was a significant amount of risk. And so someone came and they said, how do you learn to hear the voice of God? And that's what this story is about, is a story about a young man who was called to be a prophet who is being trained to hear the voice of God. So today we're going to talk for a few minutes on learning how to hear the voice of God. All right? But we're going to set this in a larger context. And here's the larger context. Two weeks ago, as we closed out 2017, we read about a story about a man named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna, and these two people had an encounter with the Christ child. Remember that? Last week, we read a story about Jesus being baptized by John, and when he was baptized, he came out of the water, heavens opened up, and there was a God encounter. And here we're reading about a God encounter. Let me just submit this to you. I don't think that these passages of Scripture are arbitrary for Antioch. I believe that God is saying, I'm trying to whet your appetite, and I'm trying to build your faith to believe me for an encounter this year. God has got some encounters that he has sprinkled in January. He's got some encounters that he is already, he is coordinating encounters for April for you. He is already working out all the logistical details for an encounter in October. I want you to know, I want you to believe, I want us to have faith. God's going to meet us in very significant ways. And here's what I know, that when God meets his people, that when God encounters his people, there's a lot, I'm going off the grid now, there's a lot of things that happen biblically, historically. Whenever he encounters his people, things always change. You cannot encounter God and remain the same. Your mindset, your habits, your patterns, your affections, your name may even be changed. Your identity when God encounters you, the very way that you relate to yourself and the very way you relate to God, it is fundamentally changed because you cannot have an authentic encounter with the living God and remain the same. So be prepared to change this year. So part of this story of learning how to hear the voice of God, learning how to discern the call of God is set within the greater context of God wants to meet with you guys this year. God has some encounters in store for us this year. Let your faith be built up for that. All right, let's talk some practical lessons here about hearing and discerning the voice of God. Number one, if you don't get anything out of this entire talk this morning, here's what I want you to take away. If you're taking notes, pull out your iPads, pull out your phones, pull out your journals. I want you to write this down. We hear God to the degree we are prepared to respond. We hear God to the degree that we are prepared 
to respond. You could also say this, we hear God to the degree we are prepared to hear God. We hear God to the degree that we are prepared to hear God. Now let's start with this. Fundamental premise number one is God is a God who speaks and he is a God who is speaking to you. He is a God who speaks. Now, here's what I love about 1 Samuel chapter 3. We find, without an exhaustive search of the scriptures, just in one chapter, we find that there are at least four different mediums of how God speaks in this chapter alone. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1 says that in those days, the word of, let's put verse 1, in those days the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. What does that say? It says that one of the ways that God speaks is he speaks through visions. Now today, I'm not going to get into teaching you on all of the safeguards and the guardrails about all these different things because there are many. I, I've got a lot of visions and sometimes it's just pizza that I ate the night before. And sometimes I got visions and they have nothing to do with God and sometimes I have visions and it is totally God and part of the process of trusting God and trusting God's people and maturing in God is learning how to discern which is which. Is this a vision that is from God? And if it is, how do I steward this vision? How do I, how do I, how do I grow in my confidence? How do I submit this vision to others? How do I wait on the vision? Because the vision is for an appropriate time. And what we do is we see a vision and go, it's for now. And some visions aren't for 20 years from now. And some visions aren't even for you. They're for you to proclaim and prophesy and, and, and build a path for future generations to live into that vision. And it takes yieldedness and humility and submission to say, God, what do I do with this vision? Because ultimately the vision is not for me or about me. The vision is for you and it is about you and it is about your covenant purposes being fulfilled generationally in the earth. Second thing that we see in terms of hearing the voice of God is that God speaks through people. So one of the things that I said to this young man who came to me last week is, or this is one of the things I wanted to say, I think I thought of this after the fact is, one of the ways that I hear from God is I actually ask a lot of questions to people that I trust. Now you can get a lot of trouble with this. Because if you've got some sorry counselors around you, you'll make some awful decisions. That's why who you surround yourself with is very important. And I say that specifically to the younger folks in the room. Who you surround, your counselors are important. Because your counselors are, they're sacramental. Your counselors become a, an avenue whereby God can get to you if he can't get to you directly. You, you, you just do not know how many times I've heard the voice of God through my wife. I'm wrestling with something, I'm, I'm challenged, I'm, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm in conflict about something, I'm praying through it, and then I'll come and I'll ask her, and she'll be like, oh, that's this. She'll just keep walking along, like, serious, seriously? Part of me is like, Lord, why don't you just treat me like Eli, and just, 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 it would be so much easier if I get to sleep, and you just wake her up in the middle of the night, and then she comes and tells me the word. God speaks through people, right? The enemy also speaks through people. And people have their own opinions, which requires maturity, humility, time, process, trust. You're going to hear a theme emerge over this message, all right? Here's the third way that this chapter reveals that we hear the word of the Lord. It's actually in the last verse of this chapter. 
Look right here at verse 21. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Let me, let me, let me share with you one of the most trustworthy ways to hear from God. Read his Bible. Read the Bible. Okay? But read the Bible faithfully. Oh, what do you mean faithfully? Do you mean every morning? No. Do you mean, do you mean get a Bible reading plan? No. What I mean by reading the Bible faithfully is not reading the Bible as you determine what the Bible should be saying to you. Reading the Bible in the community of saints that have lived hundreds and thousands of years before you have lived. Reading the Bible in tandem with the community of faith that is living now. Reading the Bible humbly. Reading the Bible with people that have devoted their entire lives to studying theology and history and patterns and languages. People that have mastered Hebrew, people that have mastered Greek. These are my teachers. I look to them. Now, we all have an ecclesial tradition that leans and sometimes gives us a bias. Learning how to read the Bible faithfully requires, here are these words again, humility, maturity, trust, submission, patience, process. Okay, otherwise, in this room alone, we would have Bible wars on what each of our individual interpretations mean based on our previous experiences, based on our personalities, based on our personal preferences and desires. Are we, are we all together on this? Okay, so it requires faithfulness and humility and discipline and process. Fourth way we see, we see that God speaks to us directly. Samuel, Samuel, here's, here's the verse that I love, that after, after calling him two times, on the third time, God says, I'm just gonna show up to this guy. And many commentators believe that the actual, literal, physical presence of God, physically, when it says he stood there, some commentators believe that he took animate form and just stood before Samuel. You can hear the voice of God in your spirit. Now, I believe that as it relates to hearing the voice of God, that it actually requires, and we're only talking about four, there's multiple, there's multiple mediums of learning how to hear and discern the voice of God. But I believe and I submit to you guys today, church, that it's a process of learning how to work through all of these. I mean, if God shows up to me, I mean, the scripture says this. The scripture says that even the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So if you tell me that you had an animate figure appear to you in the night watch, I'm going to say, well, did he say something that lines up with scripture? And if he doesn't, then you had the wrong figure show up in your room. Okay, listen, be careful about placing all of your hearing from God eggs in one moment, in one encounter, in one scripture. Be careful about that. Be careful about that. And listen, God is so good and he wants you to know his will so much that he is so patient to actually reveal multiple things to help us have that confidence and have that peace and have that security and move forward with the things that he's inviting us into. Amen? All right, here's, here's the next thing I want to share with you guys this morning. You can't miss it. You can, but you can, but you can't. Huh? <laughs> Listen, don't you know that your heavenly father wants you to know his will and know his voice and know his ways more than you do? I remember earlier in my, in my Christian formation, just in my zeal, I would cry out to God with every ounce of emotion. God, I want to know your will. <laughs> I want to know your ways, God. I just felt the more, like, you know, emotional I made it, the more sincere that he, and he was totally going to answer me. I realized I don't have to do that. 
I realize now that I can actually borrow prayers from other people that they've prayed that are so theological and so rich and have language and it's so beyond me. I can take those and without an ounce of emotion pray those faithfully and God hears those and responds to those just as well. Some of you guys going, eh? yeah, try it. God wants you to know his will. Think about it. Think about it. God shows up to Samuel three times. Three times. He calls his name twice on the third time. He manifests himself personally on the third time. What do we get from this? We get this amazing assurance that God wants you to know his heart and his will and his ways, and he's faithful to reveal that to you, even if you're a knucklehead like me. Any knuckleheads in the house? Some of you, are like, some of you guys are like, that's a negative confession. <laughs> it's not a it's just, guys, listen, it's just reality. Sometimes it's a little thick. I need a little help. All right? He wants you to know his will. Take courage in that. Take confidence. Rest in that. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. If you posture your heart to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, you're not going to miss it. If your heart is to hear what it is he has to say to you and respond to it, you're not going to miss it. He, wa- he has good things for you. Now, here's the next thing, maybe point three. All right, as it relates to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If you find yourself unable to say that, that's a flag. You know, Christy and I, we worked with youth and young adults for probably almost 10 to maybe 15 years before we became senior leaders. And we still work with young adults even now that we are senior leaders. And this doesn't just apply to young adults. I see this in adults all the time. And here's what I'm going to speak to. Sometimes you guys know when what you're doing is totally not God. You know. And not only do you know, you are absolutely determined to do things your own way. So much so that you could have every single person say, yeah, I'm not really sure about this guy. And you're like, you're just like, la, 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 la. You know what I'm talking about. You know when your mind is made up. And I think, I think that we have to have enough humility to say, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. And there are situations in my life that I don't say that. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. You know. You know why. Because I don't want to hear what he has to say. Because if I say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, you know what he's going to do? He's going to speak. And if he speaks, he ain't going to water it down. He's not going to butter it up. He's not going to change his position. His no's are no. His yeses are yeses. His finality is his finality. And I can negotiate. My kids are really good at this. I can come up with great plans. And he's going to say, listen, son, 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 son. This is what I want you to do. What you're doing right here, this is totally wrong, and this is the way you need to go. And if I am not willing to hear what he has to say, sometimes, I'm not talking about you. You guys, you guys are righteous and holy. Me, me, sometimes I go, I'm going to pray about everything but that. Speak, Lord, along these lines. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, on how much you want to bless me. Speak, Lord, on how amazing and fearfully and wonderfully made I am. Speak, Lord, but this right here, you ain't got to speak to that. No, when we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, we're saying, Lord, I am posturing my heart to hear whatever it is you have to say. 
Whatever it is you want to say, whatever it is you want to say, I got this amazing job opportunity. It's, it's offering me twice as much, but I know in my guts that this is not what I'm supposed to do, right? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I am posturing my heart to hear what it is that you have to say. I am posturing my heart before I even come to you in a posture of submission and a posture of receptivity. Speak, Lord, your servant is, say it with me, listening, listening, listening. You want to hear from God? We have to cultivate a way of listening. Most of my prayer times now, some of you guys would look at and go, you're not praying. Yes, I am. You're not saying anything. Prayer is not just speaking. Prayer is listening so that what you say actually matters. Prayer is listening so that when you do speak, what you have to say is informed. Now, sometimes I just blab. Sometimes I just blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I get in my hyper-prophetic decree mode, and I go for like literally an hour, and it's like, like non, I don't even take a breath. And I have to go back and go, Lord, was any of that like really of you? Or is like that just, I just really felt good about all that. Sometimes we have to learn how to just shh, Lord, what it is that you're saying. And then once you get that sound word, pray into that. Lord, I just contend now with that, that inward witness that I feel that you have. Because that will be tested. It will be tested. Those things that through the word, through the encounter, through the inward witness of the spirit, through our mentors, all through visions and dreams, those things will always be tested. So that's when we learn how to pray into those things. We all together still? All right, here's a freebie. Um, here's what I think is interesting because I, I saw it as a theme between what we talked about last week, that here's this young boy, Samuel, who's, who's, who's righteous, he's untainted, uncorrupted, uh, like Eli's sons are, and yet, and here's Eli who is under severe judgment, and God uses Eli to discern the voice of the God for voice of God for Samuel. I don't know about you, but that kind of puts me on tilt a little bit because I'm really good at writing people off. I'm really good at discounting and disqualifying people, especially with you see, I'm loaded with spiritual language now. Like I can just hear God for myself. I don't need God trying to speak to me through these, uh, these uh, corrupted vessels. Um, me and God, we got our own thing going. Uh, I just need some more quiet time with the Lord. No, God used a man under judgment to help a young prophet discern this is the voice of the Lord. And then God used a man under judgment to mentor him in how to receive the voice of the Lord moving forward. What do I do with that? Well, what I do is I learn how to have a humble and an integrated worldview that says I need other people around me even if those other people are flawed. Because the last time I checked, we all in our own way are like Eli. You're Eli, I'm Eli, and yet, and we're Samuel. You're Samuel and Eli, I'm Eli, I'm Samuel, and I need you to help me discern the voice of God and to know the steps to take forward, and you need me and you need each other. This is, this is why God put the story here to help teach us humility and interdependence in our maturing process of hearing the voice of the Lord together. And God will use flawed vessels. Here's the next thing for us I think that's really good for us to understand. Is that God's going to train every single one of us uniquely. 
God trains Samuel. Imagine being a little boy and the very first assignment that you get is you got to rebuke your spiritual father. The boy was probably no more than 12 years old, maybe 13. And the first assignment you get, I mean, think about, think about why, why does God do this? Why does God do this? Why does God wake Samuel up three times in the middle of the night and say, Samuel, here's the thing, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. God doesn't tell him you're going to be an amazing prophet. God doesn't say, I'm training you to be the next mouthpiece of the Lord to speak to Israel and you're going to shake. No, he doesn't do that. He says, tell that wicked, corrupt, foul man that you have known as a spiritual father your entire life and tell him that judgment is coming soon. All right, good night. <laughs> what? I wish I would have just stayed in bed. You know why? Because God knew that probably about 20 years later, he had to, he had to deliver that same message to a king by the name of Saul. When Saul was disobedient in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he knew you're going to have to have the fortitude and the guts to say some very difficult things on a national level, so I got to get, I got to get started early with you. And you may not always understand how God is operating. I prayed this prayer. I'm going to say this. I'm going to close. I prayed this prayer the other day. I said, God, just tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're trying to teach me. Tell me, tell me what the lesson is so that I can participate. And the first thought that I had was wax on, wax off. I'm like, I didn't ask you for that. I asked you, Lord, I'm saying this from a good heart. Tell me what you're trying to teach me so I can be a good student. Paint the fence, Jade. For some of you like new school folks, you're like, what's he talking about? Okay, maybe it's more like, uh, take off the jacket, pick up the floor, take off the jacket, put up the floor. I'm talking about Karate Kid, y'all. And that's probably one of the worst Jackie Chan impersonations you've ever heard. It's okay, it's okay. Walk, just walk with me here. Here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, listen, I don't always tell you what I'm trying to do. Sometimes you have to trust me and learn in the middle of it, and I just thought the Lord said, I'm the best ropes facilitator you've ever had, son. I'm like, oh, I get it. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Speak, Lord. Notice that Samuel never copped an attitude. Middle of the night, three times, getting out of bed, running over to Eli, never had an attitude. It was always, I'm here, I'm ready. I want to know what it is that you have to say. Because whatever it is that you have to say, it's valuable and I want to do something with it. Come on, let's stand to our feet tomorrow, this morning. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that the Lord speaks to us today? How many of you guys want to hear what it is the Lord has to say for you in 2018? Amen. 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 Lord, if it, if it comes in agreement with our plans or if it's something completely different from our plans, if it's wait, if it's stop, if it's go, if it's get started, if it's you've got to do this, you can do this, you must do this, you must not do this, speak, Lord. Oh, your servant is listening. Your son, your daughter, we're listening. All right, now, 
Jonathan, as you begin to play it, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, I believe the table is a place. It is one of the many ways that God can and will meet with us and speak to us. And here's what I want you to do. Come on up here. I want you to receive the body and I want you to receive the blood. And as you hold that, before we all receive together, I just want you in your own way just to say, speak, Lord. Your son, your daughter is listening. And then, listen. And see what it is. And if you don't perceive something here, pray it later today. And pray it tonight. And pray it when you wake up. One of the best one-sentence prayers you could ever pray to start your day. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Guys, come on up here to the table to receive. Coming from the